0: The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. The American Council of Blind Lions, ACBL, is the affiliate that roars, and that's no lion. ACBL holds monthly conference calls and ACB convention events that help people who are blind or visually impaired become more involved in local Lions Clubs. Find out more. Call 502-897-1472 or email lions.acb at gmail.com. Join me, Brian McCallen, on Speaking Out for the Blind. I interview blind newsmakers to inspire the population to go for their dreams. Speaking Out for the Blind airs Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern on ACB Media 1. Welcome to Speaking Out for the Blind. I'm Brian McKellen. WLKY-TV reports that the American Printing House in Louisville, Kentucky is turning 165 this year. So the American Printing House, the world's leader in producing education products for the blind and visually impaired, is renovating its museum. To talk more about the museum, printing house, and upcoming renovations is Michael Hudson. Michael is the American Printing House Museum Director. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. Glad you're here. Tell us about the American Printing House and what you do as the director of its museum.
1: Sure. So the Printing House was founded in 1858, initially to make raised letter books for uh, uh, kids who were attending uh, what then were the historic residential schools. But today we serve uh, the broad educational community. We make daily living aids for adults. Uh, we, we're we probably the central information clearinghouse for information about blindness um, in the United States. So we do a lot, uh, both manufacturing and services. And uh, I've been at APH since 2005. We uh, we uh, have a, a, a museum and a factory tour, and we we tour thousands of people through the factory and take them out on the Braille floor, show them how Braille books are made, down to the talking book studio, look at that. Large print, um, look at all of our educational aids. And then we end up in the museum where we kind of tell the history of, uh, uh education and rehabilitation for people that are blind or low vision, you know, starting with, uh, Valentin Aoui and the, and, and Louis Braille and, and bringing it all the way up to the, to present day. Wait, Valentine? who's Valentin? Oh, Valentin Aoui. You haven't heard of Valentin Awe, Brian? No. <laughs> so, so, so. Okay, so let's go back to the 18th century. Okay, if you are blind or low vision, you do not get to go to school, right? Uh, mm-hmm. One, uh, you know, society thinks you're not worth an education, right? Because education is very strictly rationed, right? Only a few people mm-hmm. get it.
0: Yeah, but
1: but also they don't know how to teach kids that are blind. They had they don't they don't none of the things hey. that we take for granted today have been invented yet. Until this guy Valentin Rwe, founds the first school for kids that are blind in Paris, France in 1784. And he's the guy who invents this thing we call raised letters, which is basically the same, you know, print letters that sighted people use, only they're embossed onto the page. And then he teaches his kids to, you know, to recognize the, you know, to read using the shapes of the letters. It's the first um, use of tactile printing.
0: Kind of like the predecessor to Braille like we have today.
1: It is. And Braille, Louis Braille goes to Dr. Awe's school uh when he when he's, you know, it's another a generation later, but um it's at uh that school in Paris that Louis Braille invents the Braille code. Well, I learned something new today.
0: Thank you. Um Um, So, the museum opened back in 1994 Mm -hmm. to make sure that the blindness field and the public itself, not forget the history behind the education and rehabilitation of people who are blind and visually impaired. Mm -hmm. Tell us just a little bit more about that to our listeners.
1: Well. So the Printing House has been around a long time, right? We we're founded in 1858. Um, our first building on the site that we're at right now was built in 1883, but there are 14 other structures. So it's it's kind of a big rambling mess in 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 a way. And um, at, in you know in all the back corners and storerooms of of this magnificent building in the 1990s, people started realizing there was all this history that was laying around that no one knew anything about. I mean there's all these stories like Valentine Awis that I just mentioned. Well there was a copy of that first book Essay for the Education for the Blind in raised letters in the, in the collection and all kinds of other stuff old printing presses and old stereograph machines and all kinds of early talking book manufacturing equipment and um and and the printing house at the time decided you know really this is an amazing story of innovation and uh you know kind of a collaboration between parents and students and teachers to figure out how do we overcome this thing we call blindness all these inventions and so um they opened the museum in 94 and brought all that stuff from around around the building and then we start collecting from organizations and people who have little pieces of the history all over the country um and we have uh over the years added the collections of Uh, The Braille Authority of North America and the uh, AER, the Association for Education Rehabilitation, and the American Foundation for the Blind and uh, the Catholic Guild in Boston. We have the Father Tom Carroll Papers from there and from other organizations. So that today, uh, the American Printing House for the Blind probably has the largest collection of disability history in the world.
0: Yeah, and become one of the globe's biggest producer of education products for the blind and visually impaired.
1: And 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 that's true. So so the printing house starts out really small. Uh in, in 1858, we're in the basement of the Kentucky School for the Blind. They're our neighbor right next door to us. And we have one press, no employees, and we're making these raised letter books. No one can afford them, right? And uh, and today we're the largest maker of educational products in the world. How many employees do you guys have? We have 330, 330. Forty depends on what what day you ask me.
0: Good num good numbers. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, what kind of pro- other products, education products specifically, do you make?
1: So, so it's important to know that uh, in 1879, Congress passes a law called the Act to Promote the Education of the Blind, and what it did was it created this fund of money that we call the Federal Quota Fund. Okay, now in 1879, it was only ten thousand dollars. But today, it's about $32 million. And in January of every year, we do a census of all the kids that are legally blind or low vision in the United States. And that number is about 60,000 kids. So those 60,000 kids and young adults in some rehabilitation programs have access to that federal quota fund to have their stuff made here at the printing house, right? So what do we do with that money, right? We make textbooks in Braille. Think about all the different titles, all the different publishers. Uh, you know, it, it would be great if every school district used the same fourth grade spelling book, right? But they don't, right? They use dozens of them. So we've got to be able to make all of those textbooks in Braille. We make textbooks in large type. Um, there's all kinds of all kinds of kids that all they need to go, you know, to just have a regular experience is just to have the books in large type. They can see them. So we make textbooks in large type. Again, many titles. Uh, then there's all kinds of people who never really master Braille or Braille's not convenient for them. And so we make audiobooks. We call our audiobooks talking books, right? We started in 1936 making, uh, talking books on rigid vinyl records, 33 and a third LPs, right? Our first book was Gulliver. Yeah. The vinyls. Our, our first book was Gulliver's Travels, right? And today, you know, we went through rigid vinyl, flexible vinyl. Audio cassettes, flash drive cartridges. Today, our books don't come out. They're all digital. You know, we, we send our books to the National Library Service and they, and then they circulate them through their system. Um, and then we make all kinds of educational aids. So say you want to take calculus in the United States. You have to have a scientific calculator, right? Say you want to study geography. How do you make a, a globe accessible or how do you make a map accessible? Say you want to study human anatomy. You know what? What are those kits? What are those involved? What was involved with that? You um, you want to study geometry or 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 physical education? All of those subjects, they're the the tools that are typically used in the classroom are extremely visual, right? So we're, you know, we have research groups and 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 we st- talk to teachers about what they need, and we're always adapting uh, new ideas to figure out how do we make all of these academic topics accessible so that kids can choose what classes they want to take they can choose what direction they want to go if, if you know if you don't have these educational aids then your choices are extremely limited you you know you're you you it's like life chooses for you what you're going to become or not become um so so we make all kinds of things and then there's uh you know, braille tools, braille education tools, um, refreshable braille devices, note takers. Um, our two newest ones are the chameleon and the mantis. You know, one has a QWERTY keyboard. One has a Perkins brailler keyboard and they both have refreshable braille, uh, displays on them. And these are, you know, wonderful classroom tools that allow kids kid to, you know, take notes, submit homework, uh, you know, just participate fully in the classroom, in the life of the classroom.
0: So let's get back to the museum. I understand that the American Printing House is going to be renovating the campus along with creating
1: this the new museum, right? That's right. And it's going to be called the Dot Experience at APH. The Dot Experience at APH. The Dot Experience at APH is what we're going to call our new education center, right? So uh, we're closing the museum on June 3rd of uh, this summer. And so, if you haven't been to APH to see the museum, and you've got some time between now and June third, I highly recommend it, that you come over here and take a look and go on a factory tour right now because it's all going to change, right? Yeah, so the, the, and then
0: the be, Kentucky Derby's coming up too.
1: It is in May, so it'd be a perfect time to come come to Louisville, right? Come take in the Derby and come over to see APH. But yeah, we're going to close the museum. We're we're going to we're going to Deinstall all of our exhibits. We're going to tear out the whole front of the uh, campus, uh, take the brick, the skin off the front of the building, build a new building out front that's going to be our new visitor center. Uh, it's going to be at ground level. Uh, you're going to walk right in out off the parking lot. Um, and then the new, the new museum is going to tackle this big problem that we see with museums and interpretive centers and historic sites in the United States. They're just not accessible for people with disabilities. Um, You know, when, as we're developing our project, Brian, we're talking to uh, you know, lots of people around the country, you know, tell us about a great museum that you went to that you enjoyed. And, you know, when you talk to people that are blind or low vision, they, they have trouble telling you a, a great story, right? They've got lots of terrible stories, right? You know, I went in, and everything was under glass, and they didn't really want me to be there, and and uh, nothing was accessible. So, you know, we're going to try and this new, the DOT experience at APH is going to be designed with the idea to try and make everything accessible, everything. And it, it's not going to fantastic. be, yeah, it's not going to be easy, Brian.
0: It's not going to be easy. It's going to take some time, I can tell. Yeah. So, um, we talked a little bit about the new museum. Could you tell
1: us a little bit more about what it's going to have? Sure. So, um, it's going to have three main sections. The first one is going to look at the lives of people who are blind or low vision. And and we're going to introduce you to a bunch of real people who live live their lives and, and demystify blindness. You know, the, the broader community, they look at people that are blind, they almost think sometimes they either think they're helpless or two, they think they're geniuses or wizards, right? How do you, you know, and they, and, you know, you put your pants on one leg at a time. I say this all the time, but if a, if a sighted person sees you, you know, pick out a, a, a blue shirt that matches with your blue pants, they, they're amazed, right? Mm. With even the simplest things. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And and so the the first section is going to be called blindness in society and it's going to look at 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 basically 7 to 10 modern people who are blind and they are going to tell their stories and they're going to show you the techniques that they use to do the things they do whether it's get on a bus and go to work every day just like everybody else or how do you become a celebrity chef or how do you climb a mountain right all those mm-hmm. things are are, are, are just, you know, it's just techniques, right? You just use a different technique to get around this obstacle we sometimes call blindness. And and this first section is going to demystify that. Then the second section is going to take advantage of this uh, American Foundation for the Blind Helen Keller Archive that we brought to APH two years ago. And it's the entire, it's it's Helen Keller's entire collection, her entire life. You know, uh, all these letters and photographs and gifts and awards and are we uh, seeing any from the kings queens and presidents you bet you bet because helen talked to everybody i mean she was so famous by the time she died in 1968 that uh, she was one of the just the most you know famous and most interesting women of the 20th centuries and So we're going to tell that whole story uh you know how does a little girl from uh, Tuscumbia, Alabama, grow up to, to become so uh, influential. And you know, a lot, what a lot of people, you know, they want to freeze Helen as that little girl at, with her hand under the water pump because that's a safer way to think about her, right? Um, mm-hmm. The miracle. Right. But Helen grows up to be a, a, just a crusader, a justice warrior. Right. She, she, she speaks truth to power. Um, she is a civil rights activist, a women's right activist, a labor activist. You know, she goes to South Africa during apartheid. Um, she's just an amazing lady. And we're going to tell that whole story, warts and all. Uh, and some, there's going to be some things that Helen, thought and spoke about that maybe you don't like um and but you know that's what happens to little girls when they grow up <laughs> <laughs> they become women they and, you gotta, and you got it and you got to you got to deal with that and so we're, we're really excited about the opportunity to tell helen's entire story and ann sullivan who's an amazing woman in her own right we and who is
0: the men in this too
1: no, no. And, uh, uh, um, and then the last section in the museum is going to be called APH and Innovation. And it's going to be basically looking at, you know, all of the, these story arcs uh, of how uh, uh, people that are blind, parents, teachers, uh, consumers, blind people, kids, you know, uh, figured out ways around, you know, uh, the, the various obstacles that have been placed in their way. And you know we start with these ideas of you know if you can't see a book, how do you read it right? Or if you have some vision but not not enough vision to be able to see regular print, what are, how do we read a book um or if Braille's just not convenient for you, you know. Uh, Braille's not convenient and you don't have enough vision to use large print. How do you, you know, what are the, you know, we're going to be looking there with, you know, you know, at audiobooks and synthetic speech and, you know, that just everything we use in the classroom in a daily life that has to be adapted and how human creativity and problem solving, uh, you know, has, has attacked these problems. And we're going to leave, you know, hopefully we leave visitors with a couple of, a couple of ideas. One is that, is that people that are blind are or or ordinary people, just like everybody else, have the same dreams and aspirations, but use different techniques to, 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 to achieve the things they want to do. And second, that the world is a pretty inaccessible place, and we still have a lot of work to do, and everybody can be involved in solving that and making the world more accessible. And that when we make the world more accessible for one group, for people that are deaf or people that are blind, we make the world better for all kinds of people who are losing their hearing or losing their sight, but are, you know, are not yet ready to admit that that's happening. I mean, that's happening to me. (laughs) So, you know, it would be nice if people were ready for me before I, before I actually do lose my vision, but it's, it's heading out the door. So yeah,
0: we'll be ready for you.
1: Well, thanks, Brian. Great.
0: (laughs) (laughs) When Helen Keller gave her whole collection to the American foundation, yeah, uh, for the blind. Yeah, uh, she wanted it preserved in a museum.
1: She did. She she when she left it in her will and in some letters uh, to uh, the foundation, she she basically expressed this profound wish that someday they would they would put it in a museum, and uh, the foundation had some dis- museum displays at their headquarters in New York. But they were never really open to the public the way that this museum is going to be open and the way we're going to market it to the you know, millions of people that visit Louisville every year. And so I think we're going to we're going to we're going to fulfill her dream there. And and Annie, too. Annie also left her most of her stuff to the foundation. And also she wanted it. She she hoped that, you know, that they would use it to tell to tell the story and to spread the ideas that the these two amazing women believed in.
0: How much square footage is the new museum
1: going to be? So it is about 17,500 square feet, which is about four times what we what we have right now on the floor. So pretty big.
0: That's about 20,000 square feet.
1: Well, 17,005, 17,500. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So we know the construction on the new museum and campus is going to begin in June. Mm-hmm. Now, when's it going to be completed?
1: Right. So we are not, we do not have a scheduled grand opening date, but it will probably be sometime in the last quarter of 2025. Mm-hmm. That's okay. that's my prediction. But there's some supply chain issues right now. So we're just not, care- we're being careful and not, we don't want to get everybody's expectations up and then not be able to meet it. So we're just saying late 2025.
0: Did did you guys also create tape recorders for the blind originally? Because I may, well, I think I may have owned one of your big ones.
1: I'm sure with you did. Buttons and shapes on them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We made many, many different cassette recorders. I think our first one came out in 1959 or 1960. It was um uh not a really highly modified. A device, but over the years we introduced, you know, uh adjustable speed and four tracks and uh uh adjustable tone control so that even when you sped the speed up on a playback it wouldn't make it sound like Alvin and the chipmunks.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. yeah. And and we had a cassette player in our catalog really until about 2010. Because audio audio tapes, you know, were just very cheap and 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 really useful, um, and we and you know now your digital recorder is right on your cell phone, right?
0: Did you also have eight tracks like what people used to listen to disco music in the seventies? We
1: never did an eight track. Mm, no. Okay, always we we went we went we went uh in, in in at least in our recording um recordable devices we 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 did reel to reel tape devices and oh, then yeah. cassette tapes. And then uh, we actually had a thing called a, uh, a book port DT, which would record on the digital flash drives that um, that the National Library Service distributed. But then we did away with that because, you know, everybody's cell phone is now such a multifunction device. Um, it's kind of like your tricorder on the old Star Trek show.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, how can we learn more about the American Printing House?
1: So, uh, I've got two, two suggestions. First off, our museum has its own Facebook and Twitter. Um, and you can find that at APHMuseum. APH museum. That's at APH museum. Um, and I welcome everybody to follow us on Facebook or Twitter. We are constantly posting videos and, and telling stories about the, the history of blindness. Um, and then our website, uh, for the general company is aph.org. Tremendous amount of information there. And our museum is aph.org forward slash museum.
0: Okay. We'll check those out. Is there anything else you'd like to add?
1: No, I'm really looking forward to, uh, telling all of these new stories in the new, uh, uh, dot, uh, experience at APH and, and, and looking forward to uh, seeing everybody come to Louisville.
0: Yeah, maybe I'll come there, too, and let's, Michael, let's hope our listeners will come to Kentucky and check out the new museum, and maybe have a little KFC.
1: Uh, Hey, love that fried chicken. Me, too. (laughs) Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks, Brian.
0: Before we go, listeners, I welcome your comments on this program. Just visit and like me on Facebook at Speaking Out for the Blind, or follow me on Twitter at Speak Out Blind or Speak Out for the Blind. You can also check out my website, that's speakingoutfortheblind.weebly.com. More information on today's show is posted there. Just look under list of episodes and show news tab. And my show archive is at speaking-out-for-uh-blind.pinecast.co. That's all for this edition of Speaking Out for the Blind. Thanks for listening. And remember to speak out.
1: Hello, this is Dan Spoon, President of the American Council of the Blind. I just want to give a big hip, hip, hooray out there to our tremendous membership that does such a great job.
0: You are listening to ACB Media One, also known as Mainstream, the flagship of the ACB Media Network. The ACB Media Network is a service of the American Council of the Blind please visit us at acbradio.org.